We're going to preach this morning from Romans 7, verses 4 through to 8. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So let's just stop there for a minute and look at what Paul is saying to us. He's basically saying, when you died to your old self and were raised again in new life in Christ, who through his sacrificial death on the cross had made atonement for our sin, and open the way for our personal relationship with God the Father to be restored. When you did that, you were released from the old written code of the law and all the sin and temptation that came with it and released into the new way of the Spirit to bear fruit for God. Some preachers have in the past, and I'm afraid some still do today, stop there and proclaim with a large smile, there it is. Give up your old life, accept Jesus as your personal saviour, and all will be right with the world. The Apostle Paul says so here, and so you can be fruitful for God, and everyone will think you're brilliant. If you only read as far as verse 6, you could be forgiven for believing that. And there are some who do, and some who are believing it because they preached it in their churches. Paul I believe, realized this, and rather than stopping there, he went on to explain the reality of what that means in totality rather than in isolation. Have you ever come out of a service where the preacher has extolled the virtues of living your life in total obedience and submission to God and casting out every sinful thought from your mind so that you are pure and blameless before God? And of course, these are great things to aspire to. But if you're really honest, have you perhaps felt, well, I'm never going to reach those standards, so what a failure I am. Because unfortunately, the preacher has not continued to say, these are the standards God wants us to aspire to, but he knows we will always fall short this side of heaven because we are inherently sinful people. There are some people who don't like to hear those words, but we are inherently sinful sinful people and will fall short again and again because of that and God has covered this with his abundant grace and mercy for those who come to him with truly penitent hearts and will continue to forgive our sins it's not a one-off experience if you read the bible stories of the people God used each and every one of them bar Jesus was guilty of sinful nature rising up in their lives even after accepting God as Lord David bless him everyone uses David was guilty of lustfulness adultery deceit envy greed murder and a host of other things as well yet God saw his heart and heard his cries for forgiveness and continued to use him sin is a reality in our lives And if the devil wasn't interested in you before you became a Christian, why should he be? You pose no threat to him 
and he was content just to let you live happily in your sins. But once you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, you immediately become his, that is the devil's enemy. And he will try and use the powers he has, which are lies and deceit, to try and win you back to his side. And sometimes that can work for a while. This is why the Apostle Paul continues as follows from verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was. If the law had not said, do not covet, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. It's amazing, isn't it, when you're told you can't do something, how it suddenly grabs hold of you and becomes the centre of everything that you do for a while. At least in my life, that's, that's true. Remember, the devil uses lies and deceits, and he's very good at it. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang back to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us your accuser the devil is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We so often forget that. The devil is out there and he wants to grab hold of Christians and corrupt them if he can. For sin, seizing the opportunity by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous in and good. In other words, the law is fine. It's what we allow the devil to do with it in our minds and in our lives which causes the problems. Paul then goes on to expand the point further in verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, man by his sinful nature has been prone to disobeying laws set out for good. The fact that the law says, do not covet, is the opening the devil needs in Paul's life to put corrupt thoughts into his and our minds to overcome the law. In other words, much of as when a young child is told no to certain things and kicks off, I'm sure those of all that have got children or grandchildren know what that's all about. When we are told no, by the law in this case, the devil will use every ploy possible to try and get us to disobey. Paul now continues, We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. That is following the fall of Adam and Eve. And we are still living in the consequences of that fall. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. 
Isaiah tells us all our righteous acts in our own strength are as filthy rags, or as the original states, menstrual rags. In our own strength, we are nothing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the devil, I, no, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Quite a mouthful, that one. And Paul explains what he means, thankfully. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. In other words, an admission that in his own strength, he has little, if any, chance of standing up against the wild schemes, deceit and lies of the devil. I will almost certainly succumb to them. It all sounds a bit familiar to past things, certainly in my life, and I probably think in your lives too. In our own strength, we can do little. Paul then gives an appeal and a thanksgiving. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my own strength, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Satan doesn't just disappear and give us up once we become Christians. He tries twice as hard to win us back into his camp. God's answer to all this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. All would be well therefore if we were to be 100% focused on God and the Lord Jesus all of the time. But we know, and perhaps more importantly, God knows, that that will never be the case. And we will let our minds and thoughts wander, and the devil will have opportunity to once again raise doubts and questions in our minds. Especially when things go wrong with health, work, family life, and life in general, because it will, and it does. It is at these times that we need to remember that God is Lord of our lives and has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And if we turn again to him in repentance, he will pour out his love, grace, and mercy on us, and we can rejoice once more in his presence. But sometimes we're a little bit slow to do it, aren't we? Sometimes... We let the devil get his hands around those bits of our lives. And once he's got his hands around them, it's harder to get them off. So we need to grab hold of God's love and grace and mercy as soon as we can. I want to finish off this morning 
by reading you a poem. It has a very special place in my heart as it was shared with me by a member of our congregation. And they've given me permission to share a little of their testimony with you. When I first met this individual, they were, by their own admission, self-harming regularly, drinking more than they should, and they were pretty fed up with God, as on top of all that, their health wasn't good. And the prognosis for that was that it would deteriorate further than it already was. I had the privilege of sharing a ministry time with this individual. Some of you remember Sue Ella Brown came from Elim to do a healing service. And it wasn't in the main thrust of the service that this happened. It was quietly after the service had finished. And most people were going home. And this individual came up and asked to be prayed for. We prayed not only for their health issues, but also for their life generally and their relationship with God. A few weeks later, I was able to speak with this individual at the end of a morning service again. And praise God, the individual told me that they were no longer self-harming, that they had stopped drinking. And that was great. But as we know, not always do these things stick. But I asked him a few months later how they were still doing. And we praised God together that he was able to confirm that he was still okay. And his relationship with God was much better. He allowed me to share it with Suella, who was naturally delighted at what God had achieved. Because it was about God. It wasn't about Suella and I as the conduits that he'd used for prayer. It was about God and what God wanted to do in this person's life and what God was achieving through this person cooperating with him. About three months ago now, the same individual who is Andre, because he's asked me to allow you to know who he is, showed me a poem that he has written over several years about the ups and downs of his relationship with God and the point where God has brought him to as a Christian at the moment. It's not a finished poem because Andre's walk with God hasn't finished yet and I'm sure that over the coming years he will add to it as God works in his life. But this is the point where it's reached now. The honesty of it moved me, both spiritually and emotionally. And I asked Andre if I could use it in an upcoming sermon. It follows on very much from what Paul was saying. Those of you who were here will know that I didn't use it on the day that I meant to, because I should have been on the last time I preached. But for some reason, God didn't let me use it that day. And he really laid it on my heart to use it alongside Paul's honest rendition in Romans 7. Because Paul was being very open in his thoughts and what his life was like and the fact that he got it wrong. And Andre's poem goes along the same route. Life in our own strength is nigh on impossible. And it's only through the saving sacrifice of Christ Jesus that we can live our Christian lives. Nothing of us and all of him. And we need to keep turning to him every day to stop us from falling. Once a week on a Sunday is no good. The devil loves it when people come to church and spend Sunday in God's presence and then for the rest of the week go and do whatever it is they want to do. The devil loves that because it gives him real opportunity to just winkle in there in our weaker moments. 
We need to be turning to God daily, hourly, every minute. The poem is called Teardrops. So it was prayed for. So it was given. With eyes that open slowly, I see the beauty. I feel the pain. My tears fell, almost lost in life's rain. Smile to a whisper, whisper to a scream. My reality is a nightmare, never a dream. Welcome to the battlefield of obedience, to the spiritual warfare of knowing Christ. Listen, for when I die in this world, I'll live in another. Dear Jesus, Prepare me for battle, I pray and I pray. Use me to gain souls before my breath fades away. A teardrop fell. It took ten years and more to realise why the angels looked down and cried so. As I dance in the twilight, dear Lord, catch my fall. When the spirits mimic you from within and the world outside tempts us to sin. When upon the rocks sirens sing with their luring tones, children in Christ make no bones, the devil is at work. When demons scream, when they claw at your heart, I know Christ and I will never part. So when I fail and never call, dearest Lord, catch my fall. Remember always, when in doubt, the blood of Christ shouted out. A teardrop fell. When the evil one comforts you with lies, all he wants is your soul and your Jesus' eyes. So when you slip for Satan's tricks and his kiss of torment stays on your lips, when human nature steals you away and a thought possessed begs you to play, when darkness tries to smother the light, remember, this is your fight. Don't torture yourself for hours on end. Give it to Jesus your God-given friend. His smile is the look of love. A teardrop fell. Your attention, if I may. Pray for guidance every day. Dearest Lord, catch my fall. As your battle-scarred child, I love you most of all. So now my search is over. Upon the cross, Jesus did suffer. He wept and he wept. Countless tears he shed. In forgiveness for our sins, with the pain he bled. For each fallen tear, a soul was saved. Lord, I ask in your name, 
Crimea River. Father, we thank you for the honesty of Paul and we thank you for the honesty of Andre. We just ask that something of what was said this morning will speak to each one of us. Father, I'm sure that each one of us at some point in our lives has succumbed to the wiles of Satan. And it's only because of God's grace and mercy and his love for us that we are able to stand here now, having gone to him and asked for repentance, asked for forgiveness, having gone to him in true repentance of heart. Because, Father, you have promised that if we do that, you will wipe the slate clean. It will be as far as the east is from the west, and you will not even remember the sin which was there. So, Father, I don't know where each one of us stands this morning in relation to you and in relation to our relationship with the devil. But, Father, I just pray that if it's not a good place, Father, that through this morning's sermon, people will know that you are there, that you are waiting with open arms to hear their confession, the confession that comes from their heart. And that as they do that, Lord, you will take away whatever's there. You will forgive it, and it will as if it's never been. Father, there may be consequences to what's gone on, but the actual sin itself will have been forgiven. And we can start afresh in our relationship with you and our walk with you, and we can build up that relationship once more. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and for the honest way in which he brings the Bible to us. And thank you for Andre. Continue to bless him, continue to lift him up. Father, I'm sure that he knew that as he allowed me to share it, the devil wouldn't be happy. And that the devil, in fact, he told me this morning that it had been a right job to get here this morning because of what's gone on during the week. But, Father, he came. He was obedient. We thank you for that. And we ask you to continue to bless his life and bless his relationship with you and with the family here at MCF. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.